We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal warm up for Liverpool and the intensity of their pressure by playing two teams at the same time, Boda and Glimt. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmaster Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man, Yankee Gunner. I couldn't get it out. I couldn't get it out. 6.50 is no time to be recording a podcast. Time for me to be sleeping. But I am doing one and not the other, and that is fine. It is the case that people tell me, you should just slow down. You should just slow down. And I imagine if I did slow down, it'd be easier to say the words. But if I slowed down and you heard the words, maybe they wouldn't make as much sense. Look, I got a few things to say here. One thing I want to say is just how much I've I've been enjoying this season. I've been enjoying the conversations around this season and whether it's on Twitter or in person or on Discord or wherever it may be, I want to thank you because the conversations are great. And I know good times make it easier to have good conversations, but I it has been a long time since Arsenal has just brought us the kind of fun and the kind of upbeat um, discourse that we have now. So thanks to everybody who's contributing to that. I do want to say thanks to everyone who's voted for us in the FCAs. This is the final day or two to do that. So if you would like to vote for us, the description of this podcast has a link you can click or a piece of text you can copy and post to social media. And once again, that is hugely appreciated. I do want to mention one thing, and I'm overdue. Uh, I had been reached out to by a few people uh, just re- related to the um, flooding that, that had happened in Pakistan and and how terrible it had been. And, you know, obviously we try to do as much philanthropy as possible. We try to talk about uh, helping people in need when possible. And this is certainly an area that had been in need Um I should mention, of course, Florida, a little closer to home, also in need. There are so many great links going around to help people affected by Hurricane Ian in Florida. But related to the uh, flooding in Pakistan, I do have a GoFundMe link that I uh, have looked into that looks like it's a good source to provide aid to, to people in need there. So I'm going to put that in the uh, description to this episode, too. So certainly want to try to use uh, whatever platform we have to draw attention to people that could use that kind of help. Uh, always an important part of of how this works. Anyway, that's uh, enough admin for now for a Friday podcast after Europa League before Premier League. And here to talk both of those things with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, see, you need to warm up the pipes a little bit too. It's after lunch for you. What's your excuse? And uh, Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. 
Hello, hello. Okay, How's guys. That sound? I don't that sound? Sound? You sound great. Yeah, your voice. Your voice could always make a. Tim, sort yourself out, son. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I just read whatever's on the whatever's on the teleprompter. I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, all right, guys. I don't want to sound too professional, but I have notes. Uh, and one of the notes I have, Tim, I'll start with you on this. I don't want to make it a big, big deal, but I think it is an interesting talking point just because the Boda Glimp game felt like you'd expect a Boda Glimp game at home to feel, right? There were periods where they were a little bit plucky. There were periods where they looked poor. Their away fans had a blast. You had a lot of beers. Everybody wins. The Arsenal wins. It's all good. The question that I think people have is how we should be approaching these games in terms of our lineups and our rotation. So I just want to touch on that a bit. Look, we don't have the deepest squad in the world. And I think the belief that you can make 11 changes for a game may be a thing that fans think, but that managers are going to be reluctant to do. There's also a question of periodization and getting in training and whether using players in a game of this level of intensity is really any different or riskier than using them in what would have been a very intense practice day ahead of an important league fixture. Shaka obviously started. Martinelli, I think, is where people had some angst because we want to see him raring to go against Trent Alexander-Arnold, right, um, on Sunday. And then, of course, when the subs come in and it's Jesus and it's Saka and it's Odegaard, I think there's some hand-wringing. So I'm curious to get your take on whether you think we need to just avoid using players of value whenever possible, given the run of fixtures coming up, or whether this kind of usage can be viewed in the light of sort of modern thoughts on periodization, keeping them fresh and, and really replacing what would have been a training session. Yeah. So it, it's very firmly the latter. I've, I've talked about this a lot um, over the last few seasons and, and actually I, I, I asked someone who'd know about the, these kind of things um, who I won't name, but Basically, the thinking in periodization is different in the last kind of 10 years. So, and Clive's like alluded to this, and I know he touched on it in the instant reaction. You know, you see, if you stick around for a few minutes after the game, you see the unused subs and everyone that was on for fewer than like 15 minutes, they go and sprint up and down the pitch. The reason they do that is because basically the thinking is now at this level with this schedule. These athletes, these players, they have to be tired out every day. Yeah. That's the thinking. So, like, that's why they go and do sprints up and down the pitch because basically what's happening is you train every day, you train as hard as you can, and they're absolutely knackered. They come home and they can't walk because they're put so much into training. If you then have a game where obviously there's no training and you just sit on the bench and don't do anything, that's not good for you. You have to be... like I said, the, the the sports science thinking is you have to be fatigued every day because if you just have a random day off, that's actually bad for you. And that's why you started to see like towards the end of the Wenger kind of period, you know, like I think we even had this conversation at the time, like we played Sutton and Alexis Sanchez came on for the last 25 minutes. And that's the thinking, like basically giving players random days off when there are games every three days is not good for them essentially that's the thinking so like it's different if you've got like two weeks without a fixture yeah like like this international break when the brazilians didn't you know they all went on holiday somewhere two weeks without a game yeah have three or four days off that's fine but i'm told anyway having random days off when you're going to be playing three days later not good basically and, and can, as I, can I add to that team just to help just to help yeah, yeah. your point right I, I love my cycling right you know and basically on the tour de france 
they do like 3,000 miles over three weeks. When they have a rest well, day. I got to stop you. I got to stop you. How come you never told me you were in the Tour de France? And so basically, on the, in the Tour de France, when they have a rest day, what do the cyclists do? They go for a ride. Right? They're doing 150 miles a day. On their rest day, they might knock out a 40 miler. Because they can't just stop because they'll be dead the next day. That adds to your point, Tim, about elite athletes and the window by which they have to operate in to be elite. Yeah. And and then there's another area of thinking that, that kind of relates, but it's more on the football side. And this is um, something I actually, I asked uh, Jonas Eideval about this last season. So the women's team played Coventry in the FA Cup team. They're much, much better than... He put out like a full team and then he didn't make any subs. I think he made one sub and I asked him about it afterwards and I was like, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, the thing is, what what I, I could have put like a couple of academy players on, but then they've never really played in the team and the team becomes more ragged. And then the first team players that you are playing come under more stress. So his his explanation was, if I put 11 players together who are used to playing together, he didn't say it in as many words, but he was like, we can beat Coventry at 70% and everyone knows where they're meant to be. No one gets unduly stressed. Whereas if you start mixing it up, yeah, I can give like three players a day off, but then the three players or the five players or whoever that I'm starting, they have to do a lot more running and they become a lot more ragged. And so in this game, right, when you see Saka, Erdegaard, Gabriel Jesus on the bench, that means they're getting used. There is no chance that they're going to be unused subs. So I think they were always going to come on for 30, 20 minutes. I think they came on slightly earlier, maybe, than planned. Not much, but I I sit kind of opposite the dugout. So I could see Arteta and he was getting a little bit antsy because basically Arsenal were getting sloppy. The game was getting a bit stretched and yep. very much the idea was, right, Erdegaard, Saka, Jesus on. This game's not sloppy anymore. The game's not stretched. And these guys can rest with the ball and they can play at 70% again. Because if I keep it like this, they're going to have to go full tilt. So I think those two things are the thinking. And I think also this is one of those areas that's a very expert area. And I do feel a little bit, it's like the club have like not just strength and conditioning staff but the top strength and conditioning like they know what they're doing and I think basically the thinking yeah. is you don't give a player a day off unless there is evidence that says this guy like he's carrying something he's in the red zone that's when you give a player a day off and obviously none of those players would be in there because we haven't actually played much football recently yeah and I, I do think it, it is interesting right because Firstly, there's this sense of like, uh, you, don't, you shouldn't need to use it. Don't use any players in these games. Don't use any players in these games. And, and I get that because anyone who's listened to me knows that I do get worried and I, I want our players wrapped in cotton wool for the big games. This is a very new season in the Europa League. There are extra games to be played if you finish second in the group. It's not just who you face. There's an entire extra round if you finish second. If you finish first, you don't have to play those games. I absolutely believe that we need to top the group. Now, we likely will. But when you're 2-0 up at home to Boda Glimt and you're like, you know what? We're getting a little sloppy. They've had a few shots. The players maybe aren't as locked in as I want. I was going to bring these guys in for 15 minutes, as you say, Tim, and, and Arteta was getting antsy. Because did you notice what Arteta said in his post-match comments about Jesus in particular? 
The way he presses is phenomenal. The way he follows the game plan, the way he lifts the energy. I think those are pointed comments in a sense of like, this he is what literally, I expect. Mm-hmm. He literally said, follow him. That was yeah. in that quote, follow him. He yeah. said, he's won five league titles and he's doing this, follow him. So I think yeah. you're right. I think that was pointed. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and just before I turn it back over to you, Clive, I, th- I think I said this on a recent pod, which is, you look at Man City and say, oh, it's so easy. They just win the league. It's so easy. I don't care how much talent they have. It's not easy to get 98, 99, 97 points. It's not easy to win leagues. Playing the way they do requires an immense amount of discipline and effort. And Jesus knows what it takes. He's complained about it at times, right? I felt robotic. Now I feel free. But he knows the intensity that's required when you're on the pitch trying to be that good. And that does transmit. And so while I do think that it's totally fine to use these players, that we probably need to be a little careful. I, I wouldn't bring a lot of them to Boda Glimt, for example, uh, so they don't have to go on the plane, on the bus, sit in the cold, uh, uh, plastic pitch, the whole nine yards. But I think it is okay. I think we do have to top the group, and I do think that from a periodization standpoint, it makes sense. I don't want to make this whole pod about rotation, Clive, but I'll, I'll give you the final word on this just in terms of not just getting some minutes in the legs of the players, but the fact that we just can't afford to slip in the group stage right now, given what's on offer for topping it and the need to make sure that we get that done. That is priority one. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, Johnny's mate, because there are people, as Tim alluded to, that are super experts. If you've ever been to London Colony and you see all the data experts they have there, they don't let you in the rooms where the computers are. You don't get anywhere near them. <laughs> so like, uh, but um, look, trust me, <laughs> we have to trust in them um, and they know what they're doing. I thought Jesus' stuff was really, really the thing of the night, if anything, because he came on and he ran himself into the ground. In fact, at the end of the game, he was literally on his knees. We have three captains in this in this squad, Odegaard, Jesus and Shaka. There is no surprise they are the three, none whatsoever, because they absolutely lead by example in everything they do. Everything. We are very lucky to have all three of them. Different style of people, different backgrounds, but they literally are the manager's boys on the pitch because we had a few people that were jogging that second half it was too easy and he said nah enough i'm bringing i'm i'm sorting this out right now and he sent them on with a a body language and a message to say let's keep our standards high now what's behind that elliot what's behind that let's keep our standards high one day in our near future, we want to win the football league, yes? To do that, we're going to have to get 90-plus mm, points. 90-plus points. Are we going to get 90-plus points if we let our standards drop on a, on a Thursday night versus Bodo Glimp? We are not. We are sending a message to the team that we need to win bunches of games in a row. And to do that, we have levels. We have levels, and we must always sustain those levels, no matter what. You can't win every game. Manchester United game, we hit our levels. We didn't win it, right? We didn't win it, but we hit our levels. We just got beaten on the day by a couple of moments. Every game we've hit our levels. If anything, some of the Europa League games have been a little bit sloppy due to rotation, lack of timing, combinations, getting to know people. And he wants to raise our levels. He's trying to build a winning culture in our team. That's why they do get on the planes yeah. as a group. Do you see what I mean? So I'm massively behind what the message he was trying to get through in that moment. Yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on, Clive. And it, look, there is a point where 
we have to look at what's happening in October and November and recognize this is an unprecedented run of fixtures. The league is the priority. But, I mean, there's rotation that's realistic and then there's rotation that isn't. I think the idea that you're not going to play any starter in any midweek game, firstly, I don't even know if that's helpful. There are some players that you may say that they need the minutes in their legs. For one reason or another, they need to be out there, right? To your point about the experts being out there, the, the hardest thing for us to do as fans, we can analyze tactics, we can analyze performances, Analyzing fitness, we have no window into it. We have no window into it, their thinking. What I genuinely believe, I genuinely believe we wouldn't risk a player we thought was at risk. And I'll give you a perfect example. Who was the one really critical starter that did not make it on? Well, there were, I mean, Saliba didn't. Ramsdale obviously didn't. Thomas Party, And yeah. Thomas Party didn't make it on that pitch. And Zinchenko, too, didn't make it on that pitch because those are players that have concerns, that have doubts, that have questions about the way their soft tissue holds up, things like that, and they didn't come out there. I genuinely believe that we, you know, we are doing this thoughtfully, um, but I, I do think it'll be interesting, you know, for example, when we go away somewhere where you have to sit on a plane for the... I, it wouldn't surprise me if Party isn't on the plane, right, on uh, next... Yeah, but you can, only make, those, you can only make those choices when you take care of business at home. Right, so take care of business at yep, home. Then correct. we can have a we can have a. What do we do next in the next game? I'm not saying we was yep. under threat for losing that game, but you create your options for you later in the season by doing the, doing the business early yeah. in the season. Yeah, and, and let's be clear. Th this was a walk in the park. We we rolled through them. I mean, I think the XG I saw was 3.4 to 0.75. Um, it was sloppy at times, but it was also pretty easy. And I think the one thing we forget sometimes is that. When you make eight changes, nine changes, the team's going to look a hell of a lot different. These are players that aren't playing games together. And what I think is actually really encouraging, Tim, is you make nine changes, you go out there, and you know what we looked like? We looked like Arsenal. The, the playing style is so ingrained that now when we go out there with nine changes, the, the names change, but the performances and the positioning and the way we approach the match look similar. I think what's starting to show, too, you know what happens when the level goes up with a team? The players that aren't quite at the level stand out more, I think. And the players that are at the level, you can see it. And I'll, I'll give you a contrast here. I think Vieira looks like a seamless integration. I think Rob Holding, you're seeing some of the challenges he has playing a role that is very demanding in this. I mean, it's being played by one of the brightest young players in world football in Saliba. And Rob Holding maybe struggling with it a little. I, I know he scored a goal, but I think his positioning, Clive joked on the instant reaction that his average position on the pitch was behind the keeper, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. So Tim, let, let's start with the, the strong positives though. And we'll only touch on this game a little bit more because I do want to get to Liverpool primarily, but I, I think Vieira is a special player. The way Mikel Arteta talks about him, you can tell it's different. He's been very excited to show what this player can do. I think he's a player we'll start to see more in the league because I get the sense that Mikel wants to give him those chances. And this is how you get into a side, right? You come in, and whatever game you put in, you make an impact. You look like you understand the instructions. You get the message. I think it's actually a good sign. Did you see what Arteta said after the match about him? He praised him, but he said he needs to get stronger on his defensive positioning, on what he does off the ball. I think that message has an audience of one, Vieira. Because I think he's saying to him, if you make sure you get that right, I will use you in much bigger games than this, my friend. It's He's telling him what he still needs to do to to make, to make bang down the door and get a place in the starting 11. I thought it was interesting, too. First game where we've seen him and Odegaard on the pitch together. 
something that I wonder if Mikel just wants to get a sense of how that might look. Because the one player we don't have an alternative for at the moment is Granite Shaka. So on Fabio Vieira, how impressed are you and how close do you think he is to being someone who might start to see starts in Premier League fixtures? Yeah, definitely. Like on your overall point, this was like a bit of a shadow side. But what you can see is the quality of the squads going up. Tommy Asu at right back, mm. Tierney at left back. Yep, good point. Who cares? That's not starters, a weakening. Starters last year. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Like that's, that's not weakening your team. And and what you can tell is Vieira's in that category. And at the moment, his kind of aim, I guess, I, I guess I'd use like the phrase 12th player. In in reality, I think there are, you have like three or four of these in a good squad, like your 12th player. Like Tommy Asu at the moment, not quite in the team, but we'd put him in in a second for yep. nearly any one of those defenders. Same with Tierney, like 12th players. And what Vieira's target should be for this season is, can I become that 12th player? And one of the one of the things, it's really interesting because when we signed him, it, it came out of the blue and it felt a little bit like a luxury signing. It was a bit like, okay, he looks good. Yeah, we could, but is, was that like our priority? I think what we're seeing more and more is this wasn't a luxury signing. And one of the things that really um, interests me about Vieira is that he can fill in like three roles for three very, very crucial starters in Saka, Erdegaard and Xhaka. Like he can, I think he can play all three of those roles. I'm not sure we've seen him play all three of those roles yet, but I think he can. And, mm. um, and, and, and that, that makes him really, really interesting because that keeps him close to the team at all times. Like something happens to one of those players and, yeah. and he's in basically because mm-hmm. um, I think like if for example Saka picked up a knock I think it would be Vieira that would come in at the moment I don't think it'd be Marquinhos which is not to knock Marquinhos but you can see Vieira's much more ready you can see that yep. he's that he's that guy that like if he has to come in you don't worry about it basically exactly the same as Tommy Asu Tierney like they don't you, you don't well you just think okay they'll plug in and go and that's fine and that's that's the sense you get from Vieira. You think this guy, he could be a starter. It just so happens we've got brilliant players in some of those positions. But, you know, maybe long term, he's looking at Xhaka's role. That's the one that's going to come up first. And mm. maybe his long term, tar- like his short term target should be can I be player number 12? Can I be first off the bench? Can I be the guy who fills in for those? Can I be the guy who during October, maybe I start? two, three games, um, maybe I start like one or two Premier League games because I can fill for all of those players. But maybe in in his long-term, like his long-term target should maybe be the left eight. That's the one that's going to come up first. Can I get in there? But you, you can just see he can play um, this guy. And I've said it before, like I think possibly the biggest compliment I can pay him is that Arsene Wenger would have signed Fabio Vieira circa yeah. 2003, 2004, even if he had 10 playmakers. He'd go, oh, give me this one. And uh, and that's what it feels like. And it just feels like he's a player that can really help take the load off players who last season were probably overloaded. Yeah, and we have a tendency. I When I say we, let me just stop saying we, and I'll say I have a tendency sometimes to look at the physical composition of a player and reach some conclusions about their readiness for senior football in the Premier League, he is slight. Um, That is not an issue. It's not NFL. 
right? I mean, sure, if you're playing as the central midfielder who's got to maybe shrug off some big challenges to keep the ball in the center of, of the pitch or if you're a center back, but I think if you are a a playmaking eight, what's most important is what you do with your feet and what he does with his feet is really impressive. That cross yeah. for Holdings goal that's sensational. The way he arrives on the end of Jesus's brilliant soul-reaping move at the end of the game um, is is wonderful, and I love the finish. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a clean strike. Roof sit, arrives at the penalty spot. And in fact, it's the stuff that's going to keep Odegaard on his toes because I'm sure Mikel is saying to Odegaard, keep thinking, get in the box, keep thinking, get in your shot, keep thinking second man run. And Vieira seems to really have that in him. Tim, it sounds like you've got more to add on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess um, what I'd say is I almost think of him like as a replacement for Pepe in the squad and a much more useful one. And another, and, and actually that goal was a bit Pepe-ish, um, mm-hmm. actually. But what, but what I mean by that is one of the things, one of the reasons we just couldn't get any use out of Pepe is because he's only a player you can use in pretty much one circumstance, and that's if you're chasing a goal. The thing, the other thing that's interesting about Vieira, particularly as a sub, he's multifunctional. If you're going for a goal and you you need to win a game, maybe you take Xhaka off and put Vieira on. Mm-hmm. If you're one nil up and you want to contain by keeping the ball you'd still put Vieira on, right? Because he can do that. So like yep. he's got both those sides. passes. Yep, yeah. exactly. Clive, I, I don't want to shut you out of the Vieira um, hagiography that we're writing here. By the way, that that word coming to me at 7.15 in the morning, I got, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm happy about it. It means the, brain, the brain's still functioning at some level. The coffee's hitting the bloodstream. Um, but I, I also want to talk about the players that maybe we have our eye on, not as a concern, but as a question of whether they're ready to step in. So... Uh, two positions where we have key starters that we don't necessarily know for sure what we're getting from the backups would be Thomas Party and Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, so I do think it's worth speaking a little bit about Samby and Turner, unless you feel compelled to add to the, the avalanche of praise we have heaped on uh, little Fabio Vieira. How, how are you feeling about that? <laughs> Yeah, no need to, no need to uh, to add to the praise because we all we can all see there's something there. What I do what I do think about Vieira is I think he is the most interesting signing we've made in many a year because of the type of player that he is. I think mm. he's a he's a signpost for what squad depth really looks like. You don't always need two for two if you see what I mean for one position. Sorry, if you've got someone that can do multiple things across four positions. You really get depth in that player, and you keep your squad unified, right? So, and if that somebody can play to your style, that sort of shirtless, numberless player, I really like. And I've said my bit before about I think that's the future of the game. When I'm looking at players now, we're linked to. I'm looking at there are some specific roles like left footed centre backs, for example, but there are other roles, particularly attacking five, which I think need to be fungible and rotational. And Vieira can play in any of those attacking five roles. I'm convinced of it. And he's even played false nine. You know, so there's a player there. Yeah. That's why I think Smith-Rowe is equally valuable once he gets his coin sorted out. And I think, and Saka, we all know about him. <laughs> and this is uh, this is the that, future that of the game. just got me. I'm sorry. Yeah. A lot of us need to get our groin sorted out. Yeah, right. get your groin sorted out. Once he's groin, which I'm really pleased he's had the operation finally, and hopefully it's a success. Yes. Because he can play football in any of those five positions. And that's how you get squad depth. 
don't be fooled that Man City have got super squad depth. They've just got versatile forward players that give them that. If you look at the squad depth charts, ours is not far off from the qualities. It's different. But the squad depth from pure numbers isn't. In fact, we've got a probably bigger squad than they have. All right, so numberless players. That's where we're heading, apart from specific positions. I, w- I, might, do a, I might do an AVV clip on this, actually, Elliot. I've got some real thoughts on this that I might clip up and send out, but hey. And if you're wondering what the heck that is over on the Patreon side, when uh, the genius of Clive or Tim, for example, just comes pouring out, there's nowhere to put it. They record a little clip, they put it out for patrons, and you're certainly welcome to join us. Come join. I mean, why wouldn't you join us? We're so friendly. You're going to like it or don't. Doesn't matter. Um, I'll, let um, me read the quote, and then then we can get on to the oh. challenges. Hang on. Vieira says, uh, uh, Arteta says on Vieira, you saw the quality. Every time he's around the box, he's a real threat, really intelligent player, and brave. In defending, he still needs to do more and understand it more because organization is key when you play against good teams in ball possession. And like I said, I think that is a a, a comment to Vieira. Yeah. You do this, you're in my plans in a big way. You know, he walked a bit in defensively, so, so, yeah, defensive yeah. transition, he walked a bit. And when there was combinations off the side, he was late over and Arteta was disappointed. This is what this game was all about. It's about developing yeah. the next layer. Right, and if you walk into this game knowing that, you can then assess it appropriately. And Vieira's the one that's closest, but he's also the one we spent thirty million pounds on. So the expectation is different upon him compared to other people yeah. that we haven't spent the money on that are younger, and that we really need to, um, you know, as- allow them time to develop. Like Marquinhos, for example, where there's a slightly different expectation placed upon him. So l- let's shift gears. And by by the way, I mean I think we sort of. We managed this game. We had spurts of intensity and spurts of rest. Um, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily what Mikel would love to see, but I think it's sensible. Frankly, w- look, I, I heard a lot of stuff about how good Boda Glimped are, and maybe they put us under a bit of pressure at times. Frankly, I think we blew them away, and I think we blew them away with 15 minutes here or there of our best intensity and the remainder of the game that we mostly managed. And I think when Arteta brought the subs on, we were getting maybe just a little too sloppy. You know, one of those things where the forwards lose the ball and they just watch the ball go up the other end. And so we tweaked it and we put the game away. Uh, Let's talk about the positions, though, that I do think demand a little focus. So, well, Eddie and Kedia scores a goal. Oh no, mate! I haven't quite spoken I about the. the g- I haven't quite spoken about the goalkeeper and Sambi, which you asked me earlier. And if people oh, yes, are listening, right. so we, I, I gonna, asked it. We didn't get yeah. there. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I just want to say because um, I just want to say if this is to me, this was a development game, and so I'm looking at the development of these players. That at some point we're going to need them throughout the season. So I'm basing my analysis on the last time we saw them, or the previous three or four times we've seen them, and are they getting closer to a level that we require to sustain us at the top end of the table? That is that is it for me. Can they help? Can they help rest the legs of the, the players we all want to see rested? So with Matt Turner, for example, I thought he had his best game for Arsenal. Right. For me, I thought he made a sharp save low down. He looked more commanding in his box. His, his throwing distribution was better. Some of his kicking distribution was a bit floppy ankled. Didn't lock his ankle enough. And I think some of his internal connections from Sambi weren't there. And he was rushing his longer kick, particularly to the sides. All stuff he can brush up on when he plays more regular. Interesting player to watch. I'm learning about him, but I thought he had his best game. Is he Gordon Banks, Mark II? Not yet. But 
is he somebody we worth to see and develop? Uh, I think so. I think there's something in there. Um, so I'm, I thought he had his best game for Arsenal. And Sambi is, a, is an interesting one because I see something different there. I see a player with talent, but I'm wondering about his engagement. I, and I've, I've said this once before about Nicholas Pepe at Crystal Palace earlier. Remember I said he's disengaged? He knocked off and he didn't play again for ages. I, I think Sambi's got yeah. ability, but I'm wondering about his desire to show the very best of himself. You can, and I do, critique Eddie at times, but when he's hot and he wants it, you can see that he wants it. You can see everything in his desire that he wants it. He wants it. When I see Sam Bessie, a talented player, don't be don't be afraid to, to show you that you want it. You know? It's like you're going for a job interview. Don't be afraid to wear a white shirt and a sharp tie. Show your best of yourself. Bring everything you've got. Don't leave anything on the table that allows people to say to you, you don't quite want it. You don't show the urgency. I see you're jogging around. Don't, don't let that happen. Don't let anyone have that perspective on you if you don't want them to. Let them have the perspective that you're fully engaged, you, you're prepared to take the minutes wherever you want to take them, and you want to play for the first group. Don't jog around when, when the light is shining on you. And that's, that's what I walked away with. All his passes were fine. He did everything fine. Easy work for him. It's like playing Ipswich, right? No problem. But if you want to change people's perceptions, you have to overachieve. And I didn't think he overachieved. And he needs to. I want him to. Because we're going to need him. Because the other guy, we all know, he's only a, a, a moment away from a, a groin strain, right? So um, that's that's where we are with that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with Sambi. He started 33 games, right, for Anderlecht as captain before Arsenal signed him. He got a call-up to the Belgian national team, right, in, in 2021. I do think that there's a point where in your career you feel like you've arrived. I'm captain of Anderlecht. I, you know, I I start every game. I'm I'm headed towards being a starter for my country. And in that all or nothing episode, I do think where he says, oh, I'm not happy, I want to play. And Enketi is like, You're not the only one not playing, mate. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. But I, I you know, I I think. There are players who are coming up from youth football trying to get into a team like Eddie Nketiah. And every start they get is a moment they're arriving. Then there are players like Lakanga who, before they arrived at Arsenal, were a starter every game. Right? And, and it is a very different dynamic. In Nketiah, you have a youth player, an Arsenal Academy kid, trying to make it at his club. In, in, in Sambi, you have a guy who made it, felt like he made it, Right? I'm a starter, I'm a captain, I got my big move to a big club, here we go. And and now he doesn't play all the time. And so those are different psychological challenges. Whether or not he actually has the the talent, that's a different question. I think he has every pass if he just plays it with a little a little more oomph, right? I think intensity period would help his game. Intensity in the way he moves the ball, intensity in the way he finds his spots on the pitch. He just needs he needs to be a grown-up out there, you know? Yeah, go yeah, ahead, this, well, we, Me and Tim are talking. We might as well bring it to light, right? <laughs> We're talking about going on message. You're just like loading up the chat with good co- podcast yeah, yeah. Bring it, come on. Well, uh, uh, Tim's right. He's, he, he, what, what, what I'm saying, and Tim summarizes it like he does because he's better with words than me, writing words for sure. It's about the reaction. It's about the reaction you have to not being in the first team, right? And look at, look at Kieran Tierney, for example, right? 
he's potentially not in the first 11. Do you think he's leaving anything on the table? He is going for it, isn't he? He is going for it. He's saying, nah, I'm going to invert. I'm going to take shots. I'm going to change my role. I'm going to show you I can look after the football. I'm going to defend me with everything I've got. That's what you want. That is exactly what you want as a coach. And I'll tell you what, Arteta took him off and I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if he's going to play on Sunday. And he deserves it because he's all his performances recently have said, I'm not accepting. I'm not in this team. I'm going to get it. I'm going to rip that shirt back. Right? And I love that. That's exactly why you have competition. Does that, does that summarize what you're trying to say, Tim? <laughs> A bit better. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I just, um, you know, I'd support all of that about intensity. You can see he's got the moves and everything. I think there might be two things going on. First of all, I think he's being very cautious because he's in that defensive role and it's it's a scary role. And probably there was a conversation over the summer that he wouldn't really play it, that he was going to be considered more like Xhaka's role. And all of a sudden it's like, sorry, the two guys we've got that can play that role are both injured, so you've got to go. So I do think there's maybe a confidence issue there where maybe you've just had a conversation with your coach about how you're not suited to that role and then all of a sudden you're in it. And also, we did try and buy someone on deadline day. Like, we scrambled to try and get a deal done. And that's got to knock your confidence if you're Sambi as well because you can see that and you're like, yeah, I, I know. Look, we're all grown-ups and we all know, but it's like I know that my manager doesn't really want me playing there on a long-term basis. So I I guess I could forgive him for being a bit inhibited, but completely back up what Clive says. Your, your reaction has to be, no, I don't accept this. I'm going to show you. I'm going to, you know. And, and yeah, and, and maybe, look, initially, maybe he will just be a bit cautious, get the fundamentals right, and we'll see that eventually. I don't know. I just wanted to add one quick thing on Matt Turner's Please. distribution. So, first off, yeah, he doesn't look comfortable passing the ball short. You can see from his body shape, you can see there's a bit of tentativeness. You can feel the nerves in the crowd when he gets the ball at his feet. But... And, and he can work on that. And whether he can become brilliant at that, I don't know. He can certainly become competent at that. But one thing he has got that I think is really interesting, he's got a hoof on him. He can get that ball. Like he, t- he took, um, I think Arteta signaled for him to go to Martinelli at one mm-hmm. point, the beginning of the second half. And and it was a bit like Ramsdale. It was that Edison thing where they whack the ball like 70 yards and it looks like they've just, you know, taken a little golf swing like <laughs> I, I I was like and also obviously like I sit in the upper tier like the ball came to like my eye line I was like fucking hell like that's a <laughs> kick like I, David Espina couldn't reach the halfway line kicking out of his hands like Matt Turner just to be fair that's because David Espina was standing seven yards behind the goal line so he had to go further and, but, yeah. and he was about five foot three but well, Turner's got it's not good, height shame please or at least like you know, the accuracy maybe needs some work. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of it. He's got that Ramsdale 70-yarder, um, that Edison pass, you know. He can has I, got that. Can and I one if other he thing does that oh, well, while he can't sort out a, a short pass, I think we can work with that. Yeah. Just one other thing. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll, again, just watching the training, because I'm learning about him. Because, you know, he's our number two goalkeeper, right? We've sold a German international to put him in our goal. He's a US international, but I, I didn't watch US leagues. I haven't seen enough of, of him. So I'm learning about him. So in the training videos, if you, if you watch some of the training videos, when he gets the ball, he's quick throwouts. 
are unreal. His throwing is excellent. And he did a couple in this game. And that's something that Ramsdale doesn't do great. What he does, he sidewinders it. So there's something to work with there. Some of the short ones to use in the ground, mate, so you get a feeling in the ground. So I'm not going to... I agree with you there. But I want to get that feeling to see exactly what he's like and what he's doing. He's got big size 13 feet and he can whack it, mate. But sometimes on the tee, I felt... I felt Shaka was coming to help him much more than he would do if Party was there. And he wanted that pass and he was having to adjust and shape. I think it's a combination of connections and timing that make us feel a bit nervous. I'm not dismissing there's not, there's not work to do. Of course, there is. You've been asked to play a different way, right? And we play with 11 outfall players, basically, right? So, um, so yeah, he's got a yeah. work to do. And he will get... Uh, let's see if he gets there. We'll find and, out. And he's... He's passing to Rob Holding as well, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. But I just, again, like quick thing on this, but you know, one of the reasons I think anyway, that quite often most of the American players who come to the Premier League are goalkeepers. There's been a big tradition of American goalkeepers. One of the things I learned with women's football, um, which America has dominated for years and years, is one of the reasons, um, aside from like, legislation about equal access to PE is American athletes tend to be multidiscipline. And one of the reasons that I think Americans often end up as goalkeepers is because they play lacrosse or hockey or NFL or basketball or all of those things. Mm. And I remember listening to Joe Hart when he was talking about, no, no, it wasn't Joe Hart. It might've been Joe Hart or Jordan Pickford, but they were talking about, they would watch NFL kickers in terms of developing their long kicking and, Complete theory. I'm kind of plucking, semi-plucking out of the air. But Clive's point about his throwing is is a really, really good one. And I wouldn't mind betting. It's probably because at high school he played quarterback or something and he had to fucking welly yeah, the ball no, in his arms. I mean, arms we do and... like sports where you can use your hands, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Over here so, on this side of the pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's fair. Look, the, the reality is, I, I, you know, I, I've been on Twitter. There's a vocal American... Arsenal fan base uh, that you could even say I'm part of, but there are days I don't feel part of it. And one of those days is if I'm critical of Turner. I I definitely hear how people feel about that. We all want him to succeed, guys. I get it. You have to acknowledge the nervousness that you feel sometimes when the ball's at his feet. I do think he gets his head down a little bit. If you look at Ramsdale, the one thing Ramsdale does, and Ramsdale makes errors too with his kicking, but he gets his head up and he, he surveys what's available. I think... I think Turner's head gets down sometimes. He's just staring at that ball. He doesn't want to lose that ball. The important thing, though, is when there were saves to make in this game, he made them. And, you know, at the very fundamental level, your base remit is to make those saves. I once made a a refrigerator joke about keepers and said, like, you don't need a second refrigerator. I think where I've updated my thinking on that just a little bit is that I used to think of keepers as guys who just keep the ball out of the net. But keepers have become a much more important part of the entire footballing system of the team on the pitch. And you see it with Allison at Liverpool and you see it with Ederson at City and you see it with De Gea because Ten Hag can't play the football he wants in part because his goalkeeper can't kick the ball. So suddenly your backup keeper has to be able to create continuity of system. And so they need to be a little better with their feet. And finding a backup keeper who's not just one who will keep it out of the net but can actually play with the ball at his feet, that's tricky. That's a very different thing to find. So I I accept that it's difficult. Uh, Tim, let me stay with you just for a second, very quickly, because then I want to shift gears to Liverpool. Uh, Eddie Nketiah scores a goal. I have to admit, 
this is where football's difficult to analyze because sometimes there's a big moment in a game and it's the one that sticks out, right? So you come away from a game and the only thing you remember is the big moment. And there were 89 minutes and 59 seconds of other stuff. Eddie and Kedia misses a, a really good chance in the second half. Badly. Kicks it over the net. Um, kicks it over everything. You'd like him to do better there. He'd like him to do better there. And so I can't, I come away with that as a memory. He also scored a goal. I mean, it's nothing special, but he's in the right spot. He reacts quickly. I think it takes a really good reflexes to get that in. Um, and in general, I think he enabled us to play our kind of football just with his, sort of in the, the opposite of Samby. I don't know that he was adding anything of supreme quality, but he was adding the intensity of pressing and the the energy needed for our system to function. So how do you evaluate the Enkedia performance? Because... What Jesus gives us, no one's going to give us in in uh, reserve. But I'm curious how you think of him as as the next best thing. Because interestingly, you got a guy in Fuller and Balogun, you know, who's who's going to come banging on this door in 12 months based on how he's playing in France. And oh, by the way, where Sambi's concerned, you got a guy in Charlie Patino who's going to come banging down the door in 12 months. These fringe first team players, time doesn't stand still for them. There are real good players coming back in a year. So. You know, you, you got to really make yourself seen and and impress. How, how did you feel about uh, Enkedi in this one? Yeah, it was interesting because I listened to your discussion on the instant reaction. I thought Eddie was great. Yeah, um, I've I seen really that comment. Do. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, out out there in general, a lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I did. Th- I I do think um, you know, Clive had a point about how he maybe didn't maintain it. Um, in the second half, and maybe he became one of those players for whom the game became a bit too easy. Although, yeah, I think maybe that was more about what was going on in front of him. But it, like you say, like particular moments stay with you. First of all, I think the goal's a great finish. Like the speed that comes at him, um, you know, like you say, the reflex and to keep that down. That's I think that was a really impressive finish. But when you say like moments stay with you, I I kind of barely remembered um the it shot is. that went over the bar not least because of what came before it like it many 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 beers <laughs> <laughs> yes that too <laughs> but but the moment that stayed with me was in the first half when we'd just gone through a little bit of a lull and he got the ball with his back to goal and he flicked it around the corner mm, and yeah. at first you're like okay that's a nice flick that's a nice idea not sure oh no he's got there he's got there he's got it and then he's gone and beaten the player. And I, I, I can just, that's the sort of like the goal. I know Eddie Nketiah can do that. I know he can. I know he's got the timing. I know he's got the positioning. I know he's got the finish. He has 12 goals in his last 15 starts for Arsenal. Now, fair enough. Like a lot of those starts would have been Europa League, Carabao Cup, hat-trick against Sunderland, stuff like that. But there's Premier League games in there. You know, from the end of last season, we saw him score goals. But, but we know he can do that bit. He has always been able to do that bit. So the stuff I'm looking for, yeah, is the pressing. The stuff I never thought he could do when he was younger, like spinning a player with his back to goal and carrying it. And, you know, he, he had loads of lovely, like his touch has got so much better it's not just with his back to goal. The shape on his body when he receives the ball is so much better. He has very clearly worked so, so hard on all of this because I just I didn't see it in his game uh, like two years ago. And the way he carries the ball and everything like that, like it's just so obvious to me he's worked so hard. I, I kind of feel sorry for him in this game because like he scores a goal. I think he plays, I think he has a, a really good game, has some really eye catching moments. And then Gabriel Jesus comes on. And he's just like, yeah, 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 exactly. And look, that's just the fact, right? 
that Gabriel Jesus is better better than Eddie Nketiah, um, and I think everyone kind of knows that. But the, the challenge for Eddie is to push and push and be like, even if I can't get that good, I, I need to, again, it's about being that 12th player. Can I come on first? Can I be the one who, you know, all right, I'm all right with resting Gabriel Jesus today because we've got Eddie. Like, can I force my way into... You yeah. know, it's a ladder when you're trying to get into the team. Can can I be the guy that maybe comes on for Martinelli for the last twenty minutes and and plays wide? And 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 what was interesting was when Jesus came on, he stayed wide, um, and Inketia went up front. And and I think that made a certain amount of sense. And that's also why, like, don't get me wrong, Jesus is able to do that. But he was also playing on the left wing when he did that. So like, Inketia didn't really have the opportunity to go and roast a fullback because that's not what we needed from him on the day he was playing centre forward. But yeah, yeah I, I I thought he had a really promising game. It's just a fact of life that the guy ahead of him's so good. And yeah. uh, and, and yeah. it's about how he deals with that mentally um, as much as anything during the season. Yeah, if you're the backup striker at Manchester City, you're not going to, you'll never be Holland. You know, and, and Ketty is never going to be Jesus, but it doesn't mean he can't and, be good and important. And Jesus himself yeah. has been through that in a massive That's, way. Yeah, funny point. He yeah. was behind Aguero and and it affected him for years. He said, like, I know I can score a hat-trick. I can come into the team, I score a hat-trick, I know I'm not in the team next week. And that that can knock you. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, what you need, you need focus and energy, right? You need to stay fit. And the way you do that is with AG1. That's right. It's the supplement that provides 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I've been saying forever that I take it all. Uh, I, I take it every day. It tastes great. It gets you drinking more water, by the way, because you mix it in water. It's not some gummy. Most vitamins today are, are more sugar than they are vitamin. Um, and how do you get adaptogens? And how do you get superfoods and probiotics? Or, you know, are you drinking a bunch of this and are you eating a bunch of that? Do you have a shelf full of stuff? Wipe that whole shelf clean. Use AG1. Uh, it's lifestyle friendly. So if you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, you can use it, which is great. Uh, it costs less than an expensive cup of coffee, although you can still do your coffee. I still do both. I just rely on coffee a little bit less. Over 7,000 five-star reviews. Um, it's, you know, it, it's just one of these situations where given what's out there and how much you have to take and how how little quality there is to get you the results you need. I have young children. Sleep is not always available to me. This definitely helps me uh, with energy, but also with sleep uh, when I go to bed at night, something that I struggled with. So just something to think about. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, I have been clear and I want to make sure I reiterate that if you don't use Indeed, you don't care about your business. It's that simple. If you want to get hired, if you want to do hiring, Indeed is the hiring platform where you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills. Time is fleeting. Time is precious. Time is money. Don't waste it. Find top talent with Indeed suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match Assessments and Virtual Interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job post. Virtual Interviews. 
We work remotely. We work from home. We get jobs where we don't even live in the headquarters. So how do you get that job? What are you going to do? You're going to fly around the world to go interview when you know you're not going to have to work at the headquarters? There's no need to do that. There's no need for the company to do that. Virtual interviews allow you to prevent candidates from jumping through hoops, making you more appealing, showing your commitment to virtual work, save time. With virtual interviews, you can message, schedule, and interview all in one place. There's no downloads. There's no installations. Just do it straight from a browser. Okay. After using Indeed virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time. What did I say about time previously? You get the point. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applicants from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash vision to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash vision. Go to indeed.com slash vision. Terms of condition apply, cost per application, pricing, and Is that enough of that? Indeed. No, that. Okay, it's Liverpool. It's Liverpool. And I would venture to say, my friends, whom I love and adore, that this is our toughest test yet. It is easily our toughest test yet, Clive. This is a game that fascinates me. This is a team that we have struggled with. This is a team that... I mean, you know, Tottenham, hell, even when we're terrible, we can beat Tottenham at home. But Liverpool has given us fits. And I think what makes this game our toughest test yet isn't just that Liverpool are still good. I think they're still good. And I think that you know, their demise has been greatly exaggerated. I, I think you take them lightly at your peril. Their, there's, their data shows that at least as an attacking force, they're still every bit as threatening as they always have been. The reason this is fascinating to me, Clive, is that it is the absolute example of who can impose their game plan on the other. They want to press. They want to have the ball. They want to create chances. Liverpool are averaging 60-plus percent possession in the league. They are still one of the pressingest teams in the league. The last few games have had 70% possession. Guess who else does that kind of stuff? Arsenal. We want to press. We want to have the ball. Clive, we have not played a team yet this season that wants the ball the way Liverpool wants the ball. They are going to attack us more than we've been attacked. They are going to try to keep it more than it's been kept from us. I think it is a fascinating, fascinating tactical battle. And I'm curious how you see us approaching a game, playing a team that in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways, is a bit of a mirror image of the kind of ways we want to dominate a game. Yeah, just listening to your question there, getting me really thinking about this. Um, now I've got that Thursday yeah, night that's out the idea. system. I, that, doing my job, just doing my job. Yeah, my so... <laughs> what's what's happened to Liverpool really? And they've lost a little bit of control and stability. And so they keep falling behind in games. So every game is a bit harem scarum. It's not a controlled game for them. So when it's not controlled, you find you find extremities and, and threads that are frayed in in your team. Right? Because actions mm-hmm. are not controlled. They're not they're not considered, they're not thoughtful. You you can't see their patterns so clearly because they are reacting. They're reacting to what teams are doing to them and what they are able to do to them more easily. And so this one of the games I did go to last year, I thought it was tactically a fantastic game. Their rotations were superb. I don't think they get enough credit for their tactical acumen. People just think they're a running, pressing, intense team. They are tactically very smart. They rumbled us second half by running through our lines, creating extra runners, and we, we were distracted and we did not handle that well, particularly in that right-hand corner of our defence. But what I do see in the right-hand corner of their defence 
it's opportunities. What I do see is the ability to win the second ball in midfield because I do not think Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago are anywhere near the physical shape they were last year. As research for the podcast, I watched a good hour of the Brighton game last week when they got a 3-3 draw. Lads, you need to see that game. You know, it's to see them getting pushed off the board in midfield, to see how Brighton walk through their midfield and create chances in wide areas. We're, we're at Brighton are a very good side. They've got a couple of excellent midfielders and they've got some smart forwards that understand when they're in charge of the opposition. But Brighton are not as good as us. Johnny Welbeck is not as no. good as Gabriel Jesus. And they could have had five in that game. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, it, was, yeah. it should have been four at halftime. And you need to watch it to see it and to see how they were. They're, they're going to come to Arsenal fully tooled up in their heads. They're not coming to Arsenal. Another big six team. They only got City the week after. And and not bring everything they've got. But I honestly feel we can get at them. I, I honestly feel we can sustain it. Whereas last year we couldn't. It felt a bit plucky. It felt a bit Martinelli-esque. And that was it. And everything else was we tried to support that. This year we've got the ability to sustain it by the position and where we play and how aggressive we are, particularly in centre of defence and in the fullback areas. I think we can really hold it, retain waves and really challenge them physically, laterally and with our bi-directional patterns in wide areas. I think we can really do something. My worry, Elliot, will be managing the emotion if it's going well. Much like Manchester United, there's something about this Northwest thing. Forget Spurs and Chelsea. It's those three boys. Mm. United, City, Liverpool. Those teams. If we have a moment against them, it's how we manage it. And this is what I'm loving the calmness of how we're managing these moments at the moment, particularly against Spurs, how we were calm and composed. If we can retain that composure, that will manifest itself in a form of authority and it will put that psychological blanket over Liverpool like we did to Spurs and say, we're not just a team that's growing. We're arriving right here and now, and we're not afraid. If you score, we're not bothered. We're going to keep coming, keep coming. I think it's such a, such a fascinating game, a measure. And because we've literally won nine of our first 10 games and scored 25 goals, Hmm. we can... We can watch this game with a bit of comfort and joy, do you know what I mean? Knowing we're going to learn something mm. from it like we did against Manchester United. So wh- whatever happens, it's going to be a fantastic milestone and benchmark for our season going forward. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, like Scott's model still has Liverpool, I think, second or third, you know, thereabouts. I do wonder how we might be thinking about Liverpool from a data standpoint if they didn't have the 9-0 over Bournemouth. Because they racked up three and a half of their expected goals and nine of their goals, obviously, in that game. And you say, well, that's how it works. You know, you beat up the small teams, fine. Let's say that game had been 4-0. With five less goals, they're sitting really mid-table as an attack. And their defense is pretty mid-table already. So it, it is a little difficult to say. But what is clear, they generate a lot of shots. They control a lot of the ball. To, to Clive's point, though, I think it is interesting, game state matters. Are they having a lot of the ball because they fall a couple goals behind and then the other team sits back a little and suddenly everything gets boosted? Their possession numbers, their shot numbers, we know that's how it works. I I look at it this way. I think Liverpool are as dangerous an attack as they have maybe not always been, but pretty close because I don't think Darwin Nunez has been as good as Sadio Mane for them. Uh, 
uh, in terms of fit. But defensively, they've been a shambles. And Tim, that leads me to a question. Because that's that's what I do. I, I ask questions. I don't just ramble for two minutes and then stop talking. I ask I ask really thoughtful questions um, that are concise and to the point. He says rambling. Trent Alexander Arnold, and I'm I have to level with you. I am taking this from what I have read. I did not watch Liverpool play Rangers. I have been told that his positioning was different in that game, that he was much deeper, tucked in at times, playing in his half a lot more. That his average position was in his half where all season long it's been more advanced and everyone by, by this point has seen the Klopp video talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold saying the reason he looks so exposed is because I tell him to be I tell him to be our pressing trigger and it's not his fault it's what we do and when we don't get the press right he looks exposed but that's not what they did against Rangers do you think that maybe the Rangers game was a bit of a dress rehearsal for the Arsenal game in terms of Trent's positioning because I think all of us are drooling at the thought of Martinelli running into the space Trent leaves him behind, but maybe we're not going to see that space. Do you have any thoughts on maybe they were trying to prep for that? Yeah, I, I kind of don't think so because they changed their formation for Rangers. They, Klopp described it as a 4-4-2. It was actually mm -hmm. a 4-2-4. So what they had, they had Nunez and uh, Jota up front and they had Salah and Diaz out wide. But like Rangers play with a back five, they were always going to come and park the bus. And I think mm -hmm. what Klopp thought was, we can play four up front. In fact, we should play four up front. Uh, so let's go for it. I think what was... And, and actually as a kind of sidebar to what Trent was doing in that game, I think this is something we're going to see more uh, playmaking fullbacks. It's something, something to watch out for, for Brazil in the world cup this summer. They've remodeled Danny Alves. Yes. He still starts for Brazil. Yes. He's still really good, but it's not the Danny Alves of Barcelona. Who's, corner flag to corner flag they sit him deep as a playmaker because his passing's really good and that's because that's where you get space right if you like slightly tuck in your fullback in that kind of ben yeah. white area those are the guys that get space and i think we're going to see that as a bit of a tactical development over the next couple of years like the deep lying playmaker being one of your fullbacks but anyway i i'm not sure i think rangers it was just like they're going to come and park the bus we need to win this. We need to smash them. We'll play 4-4-2. What was more interesting, I think, was Salah's position in that mm. game. One of the reasons I think he's not been himself is he's playing much more. He's playing wider. His average position is much closer to the touchline this season. I think a lot of that is about the development with Mane. Um, not being there anymore and what Liverpool were really good at doing was squeezing those two inside and the fullbacks coming up and down it I think Liverpool have kind of two problems they have a bit of a midfield problem the midfield's getting old together so even against Brighton they played uh, Henderson Fabinho Thiago that's their first that's like Klopp's first three all yeah. day long and they still got overrun there's an element to which Brighton had a new manager so Liverpool were a bit surprised because they were like we don't really know how they're going to play but their first choice midfield is starting to look a bit old and a little bit mm. ragged and you're not getting the same level of protection from Henderson that you used to get. They've got a question there about Harvey Elliott, who's banging on the door. He plays Henderson's position, right centre mid. He's completely different to Henderson, though. He's not going to go and protect the space of Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, mm. But also, they've got a little bit of... I think the thing is with Klopp's teams, they're such well-oiled units that one part comes out and it kind of all falls down. And one of the really interesting things Klopp said after Brighton is because obviously like Brighton surprised them, went 2-0 up, but then like Brighton, uh, sorry, Liverpool, Jack Boots came out 3-2 up. 
And usually one of the things Liverpool are really good at, particularly at home, is riding momentum. Like they're a really emotionally intelligent team. And usually as soon as Liverpool get it back to 2-1 in that situation, you go, this is going to finish 5 or 6-2 now. Brighton haven't got Mm -hmm. a chance. But one of the things Klopp said in his post-match was, at 3-2, I didn't think we'd hold on. And they didn't. And that's really unusual for Liverpool, that sense of fragility. And and he used the phrase hold on. That's not Liverpool don't hold on. They're not a hold on team. Mm-hmm. But he was saying like he felt the frailty, and I think there's a little bit of confidence gone there. I mean, what one of the really interesting stats about Liverpool as well was last season, only Norwich um conceded more one-on-ones with the goalkeeper than Liverpool but that's because they've got Allison in goal and it's a bit like Van Dijk and Allison, right it's just like all right Van Dijk will defend the half on his own and even if you get past him Allison's probably the best one-on-one keeper in the world he's got that Schmeichel vibe where he comes out spreads himself and he looks about 100 feet wide and 20 feet tall and and he's still kind of doing that and he saved them against Brighton a lot but like Van Dijk, Henderson, Thiago, I think Liverpool are just ageing out together a little bit and they've got that team coming up underneath. But what they haven't got, they've got young guys and they've got old guys, basically. They haven't got yeah. enough in that like 24, 25, and I think it will take a season for them. So what I'm saying is basically I think their units are getting a little bit ragged. The midfield looks old. The front line's new, and that's exposing Van Dyke. And like Alexander Arnold is no worse a defender today than he was two years ago. It's like you say, like it's he's getting just the exposed. cover. So the cover, yeah, yeah. Can we pull those units apart? Can we keep Salah out on the touchline? Can we attack the space in behind Trent for the first time in a long time? There are things you can point to in this Liverpool team and say. No, I'm not saying that like we will do this perfectly and therefore win the game, but you look at it and you go, there are spaces for us in this game if we're good. Yeah, I mean, their shot suppression and and chance and limiting chance creation was one of their notable qualities in the last few years, the run they've been on. We think of them as as an attacking force, but their expected goals allowed is always second right behind City and it's close. They give up shots now, they give up chances. But like, I, I think also when you take, Sadio Mane out of a team and replace him with Darwin Nunez, your ability to control the ball in the attacking third is limited too because you're taking out a a player who is very technical and good on the ball and keeps possession with a player who really more wants to run in behind and and finish moves. Clive, I can't help but see this as the battle of the right flank or if you're Liverpool, the battle of the left flank. Because if I'm Liverpool, yeah, I want Salah and Alexander-Arnold testing, testing Zinchenko and Gabriel. That's exactly where I want to attack Arsenal. And if I'm Arsenal... I want uh, Martinelli running into the space behind Alexander-Arnold and finding Gabriel Jesus in space. So that side of the pitch, you know, the the vulnerabilities of each side, I think, will be tested extensively. Do you see it any other way? Yeah, a couple of things. I think on our, on our left side, that's our rotation side, where we do the most rotation, particularly when Zinchenko plays. I'm not sure he will play, to be honest. I think Tierney will play, so... I think we'll be fine, but different there. I think Shaka has can a. I, can crit- I stop you? Can I just can I just ask you a question? 
Is that? Do you think that'll be a, a choice, or are you, are you referencing some kind of knock? No, I think Sinchenko's injured, basically, from what I've is, is seen. Okay. He, he I know he didn't train before the Europa he didn't, League game. He didn't train. He was nowhere near the squad yesterday. Was that correct? He wasn't in the squad yesterday. And so they're training mm-hmm. tomorrow, so we'll know more tomorrow. And tomorrow, by tomorrow, I mean Saturday. And so we'll see. But I'm only taking the signals based on the fact we took Tierney off on 65 minutes, and that seemed pointed to me. To make sure, and why wouldn't you do that? That's risk management. You have a player that actually didn't train, not in the squad, and your second player you don't play him for ninety minutes, right? So, um, so I think that could change something there. I think Shaka's got a very important role because Jordan Henderson, another player that's not at his best fitness-wise, recent injury, hamstring problems, his dynamism to cover Trent just isn't there at the moment. If you look at Fabinho, his fitness levels are not great. He's not looking as mobile as he has done previously. And Thiago's just back from injury as well. And so they're, they're managing these bodies, right? So, But don't underestimate guys that have done it before. They can always find one game. You know, <laughs> the, the old guys can always find one game they need to. And when they feel good, it's up to us to make them not feel good by keeping the football and passing them to death. I do think... Um, the last time we played them, Robertson had a great game against Saka, and that was a you know Saka was our only player that was really bright in those days. We've changed a little bit now, and he was just a bit unfortunate. I thought Robertson did quite well against him, and but Timmy is it Timmy Cass? I think he's been playing recently, and I don't see him as defensively as robust as Robertson. I'm not sure why Robertson is not playing. If Timmy Cass plays, I, I fancy us down that side. Um, so yeah, Diaz against Ben White. These are these are just sensible matchups, right? And um, I, I'm the one thing about Liverpool is they are a team built on intensity. That's their identity. And as they've aged, the intensity levels, given the fact they played literally 104 games last year, about they they played every game possible that you could possibly play in a season where they could have won four trophies, and that has had an impact to them for me on freshness on health, on injury, on spark. And if you're built on intensity and emotion, keeping people you want, transitions, fire and brimstone, and you take that away, suddenly you become vulnerable. Can they refind it? Not so sure. I'm, I'm concerned they might find it on Sunday, right? Because they need to, because they saw- don't. They're 14 points behind us. Yeah, look, their level is never bad. I think we need to be aware of the threat they always carry, even when they're not at their best. But we saw this a bit with Liverpool, right? They really pushed and pushed and pushed to win a Champions League, to win a Premier League. And then physically they suffered and they dropped and they almost didn't make top four. And then they came back and they pushed and pushed and pushed up into the 90s and points. I don't think they can sustain physically what they try to do season in, season out. So I I think that that is a consideration. But even when they're not good, from an attacking standpoint, they are dangerous. And I I don't think we've been attacked the way we will be attacked in this game, which will be a really interesting thing to see. Um, Tim, the, the issue of Zinchenko not being there, I'm just curious, like, it's kind of ironic. We had the most injury prone left back imaginable. So we decided we had to go out and do something about it. 
and we seem to have added another left back who is similarly made of tissue paper, I guess. I don't know, but are, I saw you type it into the chat. Are we sure that, that Zinchenko is unavailable? Is that something that is out there? I don't think there's a confirmation of that, right? No, it isn't. It's not out there, but we know him and Party didn't train um, the day before the game yesterday. So, I mean, they've been managed for a while. Um, I think Party's you can fine, see though, that. Right? I've not even heard a whisper of him having a problem. No, no. It's okay. just management, um, basically. And, and well, probably similar with Zinchenko, but I'm with Clyde. I think Aitin has probably earned his place anyway with mm. some of his performances. You know, Liverpool, slightly different prospect for the reasons you've outlined. Um, against Salah, you... you Probably there's an argument to play the superior defender there. Um, anyway, I, I wouldn't mind betting that Zinchenko will be in the squad, but I, I kind of agree. I, th- I think Tierney will start. I think Tierney might have been in Arteta's mind for this game anyway. For, again, for the reasons you mm. say, this is going to be the first opponent this season to attack us. But but yeah, like I think he's earned it as well. It's really interesting because I feel where we've been potentially vulnerable defensively, it's not many places, but it's on the counter. But in order to counter, a team needs you to have the ball right up the pitch. And if Liverpool try to have the ball, then we're the one countering. But if we do get the ball up the pitch, Liverpool might get to do one thing they haven't done all season, which is counter, which they might be really dangerous at doing. Like Darwin Nunez doesn't particularly, I'm not going to say he doesn't scare me. He's a talented player. But if we're in a low block and they're trying to possess the ball, I don't. I think he might be a liability. If we have the ball and they're counterattacking, suddenly you are playing into the thing that he is. He could be devastating at doing. It's, it's a fascinating match for me in that way. Tim, do you see, other than the Zinchenko thing, do you see any changes from what we've been looking at as a first choice? I mean, barring unforeseen injuries or anything, I assume it'll be the same. I, I think it'll be the same. Yeah, yeah. And I think bringing Ben White on for his 20 minutes, I think that shows you he's going to play um, yeah. as well ahead of... And again, Tommy Hass is mega unlucky um, at the moment. But, you know, you can only point... Tommy Arteta only needs to point to Tierney and just say, look, things change quickly. And Ben White... I think played on the cusp of an injury a couple of games recently, like things can change overnight um, for you. And that's got to be the message as well to a lot of these players who played on Thursday. Maybe maybe this is the wrapping up point, but guys like Inquietia, Fabio Vieira, like, yeah, you're not going to start against Liverpool, but Gabriel Jesus' hamstring goes, Eddie, you're in. Like, Erdegaard gets an injury, Vieira, you're in. Like, that's got that's got to be in their minds um, and th- those players have got to prepare as if they're playing because we might need them after 15 minutes someone's hamstring might go bang so do you, yeah do, do you have a prediction for how you see the game going maybe not even necessarily a score prediction but generally how you see it I see it being I can see it being like quite a high scoring draw maybe I can see these two teams slugging at each other a little bit Liverpool have to win and that that might be interesting for us because Liverpool they're behind. They've got, but then again, I don't really think Liverpool really know any other way to play anyway. So maybe that yeah. doesn't change a lot. Um, I see this being a bit of a slugging match and two teams trying to stamp their authority. And I, I could see them um, not cancelling each other out stalemate wise, but I could see like quite a high scoring game here. I I could see any outcome in terms of winner. The only outcome I can't see is one where either team keeps a clean sheet. I don't think we can keep Liverpool out. I don't think there are many teams that can keep Liverpool out. I don't. I just don't see that. I don't think they can keep us out. 
And I have no idea whether we'll be able to have the... uh, Will we look like Arsenal? Will we look like we've looked all season? Will we have the ball in the attacking third for 60% of the game? I don't think so. I think we're going to try. But they're going to try that too. It is so fascinating. My prediction, I kind of see a coming out party for Martinelli. Because whether Trent is up the pitch or not up the pitch, he cannot defend Martinelli 1v1. He can't. And look, I'm as big a Trent defender as there is. I think the fact that Southgate doesn't pick him is hilarious. I think he's generationally talented as an attacker, and so you find a way to use him. But if he has to defend Martinelli either in space or on his own, I don't think he can do it. And unlike in the past where if Martinelli gets past Trent, you've got Lacazette huffing and puffing trying to get up there, Gabriel Jesus is going to be in the places he needs to to cause them max pain. So I see a high-scoring game as well. I think if this goes well for us, I think we're going to be on here doing an instant reaction at full-time talking about how Martinelli was the difference. Um, but it really could see it going either way. Clive, your prediction for uh, for an Arsenal huge victory, please? <laughs> yeah, I like the, like the high-scoring draw. It could even be 3-3. Like, but I actually, in my Super 6, I went for 3-2 Arsenal. I just couldn't, couldn't click it. <laughs> couldn't click the 3-3. Um, and... And yeah, I, I, I look at look at the game yesterday. Uh, I've got a good feeling for Odegaard. Actually, I think he's had a little tap at the bottom, and he's got he's got his verve back. And I think I see him being a real mm. problem for them. I think he the way he plays. I think he's a complete controller, composer type player. And I think they they haven't seen anyone like him in the form he he is now and the health he is now. So I think I have a big feeling for him. Obviously, Thomas Party just gives us a level of authority in the middle of the pitch. So, um, and they've not seen us with a centre forward. I mean, Tim, you was at the game last no. year. Look how look how they stood over Lacazette and just stood and laughed at him and just stood over him and on the high fire line. And we just all knew we were never going anywhere else after that. You know, once mm-hmm. Martinelli and Saka tired, we were not getting in behind them. It was over. Well, that's not the case now. Martinelli and Saka, one year older, and we got we got Jesus up there. And he ain't stopping running if you kick his legs off, right? So I think we're going to challenge them. We're going to stress them. That authority they had at the back last year will not be there this year. And I do see us scoring two-plus goals, Elliot. Two-plus goals. And I see us winning by the odd one in five. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on the scoring. I just don't know what will happen at the other end. I it is It is going to be really interesting to see if we are so good now that we can take a team that wants to do the things we want to do and say, you're not doing those things. We're taking that game from you and we're doing them. And at the same time, that will terrify me in a way because the one thing we haven't seen Liverpool have a chance to do is just counterattack. And like maybe that means that their defensive frailties are covered up a little. I, it's going to be interesting. Let's um, keep our fingers crossed for another big game. I, I mean, obviously you go and you win this game and I think the expression is now you're going to believe us. I don't know. I mean, it's... It's getting to that stage. We'll see. So a very busy October rolls on. We will have an instant reaction at full time. As always, we'll have a a full post-match podcast subsequent to that and hopefully a rewatch of both halves because how can you not rewatch both halves of a game where we score 10 goals? So uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. I didn't mention that we also concede 10 goals in a thrilling 10-10 draw. Um, uh, And Tim's on Twitter at Sorbetto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. We love you so much. Thank you for being here. It's another big game. I'm excited to see it, and I'm excited to discuss it with you when it is over. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool No.
Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.